Welcome everyone to our online services here at New Life Christian Church. I am so glad that you are joining us here today as we begin this brand new series from the book of Revelation. But before we get to that, I'd like to welcome back those of you who are watching right now, who joined us for the very first time ever last week at one of our six Easter services. You've chosen to come back today and and participate again, and I can't tell you what that means to us, and I hope that you will continue to tune in. And not only that, but I hope that you find a real home here at New Life Christian Church. Uh, When all this COVID-19 pandemic, when this is all behind us, If you are able to, I want to invite you to come and be here with us in person. We have a great church here. I can only speak for myself, but I just sense a lot of joy. There's a lot of unity in our church. We are truly a a family, and we would love for you to come and be a part of it. And as the New Life family, I can tell you that this social distancing, it has been quite difficult on us. And I've had so many people in the church let me know that they can't wait till we can be all back together again. And I want to invite you to come and join us as well. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, we are beginning today a brand new series from the book of Revelation. And can I let you in on just a little bit of insider information? And I'm not exaggerating this when I tell you this, but on average, over the last two years, I have received at least one, sometimes a lot more than one, sometimes two, three, even more requests per week from people right here in our church family asking me to preach through the book of Revelation. In fact, if that's you, in the last two years, if you have mentioned to me that you'd love for me to preach through Revelation or, or you have, have, have thought even, hey, I think Pastor Joe should preach through the book of Revelation. If that's you, go ahead and hit the like button, hit the heart button, let everybody know, yep, I thought he should do this a long time ago. Well, here we are. You know, most of those requests have come through just personal conversations that I've had with people in our church family. Um, just out in the halls before and after church. And, and some of them came through text messages and emails. And, and I love that. I don't want you to stop that. I want to know what's on your heart. I want to know how God is stirring you. I want to know what you're interested in. That helps me a lot. But I got the message, and I knew a lot of you were interested in the book of Revelation. And I'm excited to be beginning that today. Um, so for the last two years... I've been getting these requests, and you've probably heard from me my typical answer. Now, my typical answer is still a very sincere answer. They say, hey, Joe, you should preach the Revelation, and I would say something like this. Well, you know what? That would be a good thing to do. Now, I believe that in all my heart, but there's a timing when it comes to the book of Revelation. Um, I don't know of a preacher in the world, certainly not this one, who sits around on a Thursday night and says, huh, I wonder what I'm going to preach about on Sunday. Oh, you know what? The book of Revelation would be good. No, it does not work that way. No, the, the book is just too complicated. It's too complex. But I do believe that you preach through the book of Revelation when it makes sense contextually to what is happening in our church and what is happening in our community and what is happening in our world. Like, you know, I don't know, like during a worldwide health pandemic that nobody alive today has ever experienced before, And people are wondering if COVID-19 is a revelation birth pain ushering in the second coming of Jesus. You know, maybe that's a better time to preach through Revelation. You preach on Revelation when many people in the world are wondering if this is the apocalypse. Is this the beginning of Armageddon and all that stuff that the Bible talks about? 
I'm probably not the only one here in our church family or who is watching this today who has received voicemails and emails and text messages of articles and videos and questions about the end times, the second coming of Jesus, and, and with questions about how COVID-19 line up with the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and the wrath of God being poured out in the end. If you have been emailed some articles, if you've been sent videos, if you've seen some things, if you've had questions asked, if it's come up in your family, if you've had discussions in your life group about the end times in the last couple of weeks, why don't you hit the like button right now, hit the heart button, let everybody know. It's like, yep, this is on my mind. We have been talking about this too. As I think about it in light of everything going on, I think now is probably the perfect time to study our way through the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible nearby, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and retrieve that now. And I'd like for you to turn to the very last book of the Bible. That's the book of Revelation. And when you find that book of the Bible, I want you to put a bookmark in there, a, a piece of paper, a bookmark, a pen, a ribbon, something, and, and, and hold it in place because this is the book of the Bible that we're going to keep coming back to uh, for the foreseeable future. And while you're finding that, can I just ask you a question? And I, and I want you to be real honest about it. How many of you have read the book of Revelation before and you were like, wow, there is a lot there that I don't understand. In fact, I'm a little intimidated by the book of Revelation. Now, I can't look right into your living room today and see if your hand is up to that question, but I want you to look right back at me and I want you to see that my hand is up. Because I read the Re book of Revelations and I go, wow, there's a lot going on there and, and I can be a little intimidating. Revelation is just an intimidating book of the Bible, if we're just being honest, because there are parts of the book of Revelation that are just flat out hard to understand. The, the book of Revelation has produced numerous points of view from absolutely brilliant people. And it's left many in our world going, well, does it mean this or does it mean that? Well, what does this mean? And should I be worried about that? Many people look at current events today and, and they say, well, what does the book of Revelation have to say about that? Or they'll look at like COVID-19 and say, is this mentioned in the Bible somewhere? Is this one of the, the things that ushers in the second coming of Jesus? There are people today who will look at hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes, and they'll look at COVID-19. They might look at a terrorist attack, or they may look at a new world leader. And, and they might think, well, is this what Revelation is talking about? We're living in a day and age right now, and I think you would agree with me, that there is this tremendous fascination with all things related to Armageddon and the apocalypse and the end times and predictions and things that have to do with life after death. Many people go to Revelation, and we've all got friends, and maybe you've looked as well, that they try to connect all the dots for everything in our world today that they are observing through the lens of Revelation we just want to know what's going to happen. And somewhere in our minds, we wonder, does Revelation hold the key to unlocking what I'm supposed to see with all of this stuff? But there's a fascination in our world with these kind of things. Do you remember back in 2012, the Mayan apocalypse? Now, that's something we haven't thought about in a long time. But if you go back a few years, it will start to come back to you. So many people were wondering, is this the end of the world? Does the Mayan apocalypse somehow line up with the revelation of the Bible? 
For those of you that may not recall this, who were too young, the Mayan apocalypse had to do with the ancient Mayan calendar that came to an end on December 21st, 2012, and people lost their minds over this. They, they lost their minds. Well, they stopped counting because obviously they knew something was going to happen, and that was the end of the world. Well, December 21st, 2012, does that mean that Jesus is coming back? And what does Revelation have to say about this? It was kind of crazy for a couple of weeks. Well, obviously, Jesus did not come back on December 21st, 2012, and we moved on from that, and people moved on to the next things. Uh, in Christian circles, there is a great fascination with the Antichrist, because many people believe that the arrival of the Antichrist um, means that the return of Christ is very soon. Yeah, if you were to go to Google and you were gonna and you Google the question, "Who is the Antichrist?" You're gonna read all kinds of ideas and theories that people have come up with trying to identify who is the Antichrist that's talked about in the book of Revelation. Where did he come from? When will he show up? What will he do? And I'm gonna be honest with you. Just a few minutes on the internet asking that question, "Who is the Antichrist?" is gonna reveal that there are some absolutely ludicrous ideas out there about the Antichrist. I, I read about one blogger. I read one blogger a couple years ago, and you're going to find this absolutely crazy. You're going to find it as crazy as I do. He was 100% convinced that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And you know what his reasoning for that conclusion was? He said in this blog that he noted that on the night that Obama was elected, the pick three in the Illinois state lottery, which is Obama's home state, the pick three of that lottery that night was 666. And of course, everyone knows that 666 is the mark of the beast. So for him, the Illinois state lottery was all the evidence that he needed to know to connect the dots from the book of Revelation and to label Barack Obama as the Antichrist. Friends, regardless of which side of the political aisle you sit on, I hope we can all agree that that is crazy talk. Truthfully, I think every president from George Washington to Donald Trump at some point has been labeled as the Antichrist. And so has the Pope, and so was Hitler, and so was Stalin, as well as Mikhail Gorbachev, although nobody talks about that anymore because when Russia fell, they go, well, he can't be the Antichrist anymore. Napoleon was accused of being the Antichrist, and so was Nero. Nero from the first century Rome, not Nero from the reboot of the Star Trek series, just so we're clear. I say all that because Revelation can be intimidating, and there are parts that are hard to understand, and if we are not careful with it, our minds can run crazy. Our minds can take us into some wild paths and we too can come up with some absolute ludicrous predictions and interpretations of the book of Revelation and I don't believe that it was ever meant to be taken in that way. A friend of mine who preaches in Indiana, he recently preached through the book of Revelation uh, with his church and I love how he describes the book of Revelation. I wanna share with you what he shared with his church. He said, take the New Testament, for example. Let's just think about the New Testament. And let's just imagine that the New Testament was a street in a neighborhood and each book of the Bible was a house on that street. So you understand kind of his imagery here? So the, the New Testament is a row of houses and each book of the Bible is in this neighborhood. 
And he says, at the beginning of the street, you have the gospels. Now, those houses, they are well lit. The yards are nicely manicured, and we visit them often. We love those houses. But as you move down the street, you don't visit those houses as much. You know, we're somewhat familiar with the writings of Paul, but as you get down towards the end of the street, there you find houses that are a little bit more neglected. There are some weeds in those yards. There's things that are popping up because we don't spend much time down there. That's where you find 1 Peter. That's where you find 1 John. And that's where you find Jude. And then down at the end of the cul-de-sac, shrouded in darkness, is that haunted house known as Revelation. The for sale sign has been in the yard for years, but nobody wants to go in there. For some reason, that description of Revelation just makes sense to me. I think why so many people have a fascination with the book of Revelation, and perhaps during this pandemic, why so many people have reignited a real interest in the book of Revelation is because we struggle to understand it. Many think that it holds the keys to unlocking the current events and understanding this pandemic I think it helps us make sense of all the things happening in the world today. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Either way, what I do know with absolute certainty is that we will be blessed by paying attention to the book of Revelation. For in the very opening words of Revelation, it says this. Look with me at chapter one, verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And that, my friends, is a great promise, isn't it? If you read these words, if you take them to heart, if you just take them seriously, if you do everything within your power to try to follow what is written in the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. It does not say that if you read it and you aren't confused, it doesn't say that as long as you become a Bible scholar and can explain all this to people, it doesn't say that. No, no, no. It says, blessed are those who read this and blessed are those who hear it. They will be blessed. And friends, that is a tremendous promise. There is a blessing for us. So by the time that we get through this study, and we are closing the final chapter on the book of Revelation, I would be shocked. I'm going to confess this. I would be shocked if there was 100% agreement on every single detail that we're studying together. The reason I would be surprised is because the greatest biblical minds in the world today, they don't totally agree, and they don't line up on what everything means in the book of Revelation. There are plenty of things there that are left open for interpretation, but what I do know will be true when we get to the end of the book of Revelation is that we are promised a blessing. In fact, when you just get 10 seconds into the opening words of Revelation, of reading it, it speaks of this blessing. So what I want us to do as a church family, I want us to jump right in here today and I want us to start this journey. And let me just encourage you to do this, all of us. Let's stay humble before God as we journey down this road and let's be gracious with one another and let's see together what blessings from God come from this study of Revelation. So you got Revelation chapter one opened up. Let's start reading it together. Let's read the first three verses together. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John 
who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, so let's just stop right there, because there's some introductory things that we need to talk about that's going to help us really understand, set the stage for the book of Revelation, going to bring some things together for us to guide us through this journey. First of all, let's deal with this. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Who wrote it? Well, the author is identified in verse 1. The author's name is John. Well, we got to ask the question, which John is this? Because there's more than one John in the Bible. This has been kind of a widely debated topic for centuries. Literally, you can go back centuries and trace this discussion that scholars and leaders have been having about which John is this. But I can just tell you that most Bible scholars today agree that this is John who is the brother of James. This is the John who was one of Jesus's original 12 disciples. This is the John that also wrote the gospel of John. Now I could go in today and talk about all the evidence and how people come to that conclusion, but I I just don't think we should spend any time doing that because you can easily research that on your own just like I have. But I want you to know I'm very comfortable today with understanding and reading this as this was John, one of the disciples of Jesus, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you know much about John from the New Testament, then you know that he was the only disciple who was not martyred for his faith. That's right. All the other disciples were, were killed for their preaching of the good news. And that doesn't mean that John wasn't out there preaching. It doesn't mean that his life was not on the line. No, 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 no. He suffered greatly. Can you imagine being the oldest of Jesus's original disciples and you had to live through all these years knowing that all of your friends had died for the faith? Boy, I think there's some real suffering that goes along with that. But John lived a long time. He lived well up into his 90s, the best that that we can tell. And so he did quite a bit of suffering uh, for his faith. John, we know, was a very devoted man of God. It's on all over the pages of the scriptures that he has written. So here he is now in the book of Revelation as an older man in his 90s, which means that this is about 60 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So so the church has been well established now for over half a century, and John has lived through all of that. You know, we we studied through the book of Acts here a few months ago, and you might recall that Paul went on all these missionary journeys and how the gospel spread all around the known world, and how these churches were being planted all over the place. John got to be a part of all of that. He got to see the beginnings of the church and all that it went through, and he got to really enjoy all of those things. Now, some 60 years after Pentecost... John's in his 90s, and he is exiled on an island of Patmos, which is a small, rocky island out in the Aegean Sea. You can actually visit there today if you want to. If you understand the the geography of that area, if you can imagine where biblical Ephesus is, where so much of stuff in Christianity happened, Patmos is about a 60-mile boat ride from Ephesus. So it's about 60 miles away. And uh, church history tells us and and church tradition tells us that that John, in his later years before this, was living in the city of Ephesus. So they put him on a boat and they sent him 60 miles out in the Aegean Sea to this little island called Patmos. And that is where he is exiled there. I don't know what it was that was so threatening about a 90-year-old man that they felt like they had to ship him off to this island and separate him from the other Christians, but it's on this island that 
that he receives this revelation from Jesus, and he writes all of this stuff down. So I want you to go back to verse one, and I want to look at this word for just a moment because it's very important. Look at verse one. I want to look at this word, revelation. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to get too technical here, but this is actually quite important. That word revelation, it comes from, it's an English word that comes from a Greek word. That Greek word is apokalupsis. That's how it sounds. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because that's where we get the word apocalypse. And when we think of the word apocalypse, what do we associate that word with? We think of disaster. We think of destruction. We think about the end of the world, don't we? Now, if you think about every movie you've ever seen or every TV show that, that uh, presents mass destruction, the end of the world, the, the earth exploding or whatever, we usually talk about that as it's an apocalyptic movie. It's the apocalypse. It's the end of time, the destruction of the wor- world. But disaster and destruction is not how that word is being used here in the first verse of the book of Revelation. The apocalypse, it just means revelation. That's why we use that word in English, revelation. It just means to unveil. It means to reveal or to make known that which was previously unknown. So the revelation of Jesus Christ is simply a statement that there is something right now that is not known to the church, but it's going to be made known through this revelation of Jesus Christ. So it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be you know, um, picky here, but it does not say the revelations of Jesus Christ, like multiple, revel- no, 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 revelation. It's this one big revealing, not revealings. Now, as you study through revelation, there's gonna be a lot of things that we are gonna learn, but they all point to one big revealing, one big revelation from Jesus Christ that he is gonna make known to us. Now, if you follow the progression of the text, Jesus receives this revelation from God. So here's how it goes down. God shares this revelation with Jesus. Jesus shares this revelation with an angel. The angel is sent to share this revelation with John. John writes everything down in this revelation that he sees, and thus that revelation is then shared to all of us. And that, for me, is why I think John simply identifies himself in the text as a servant. It's like he's saying, this letter is my service to God and my service to the church. It's not my message. It's God's message. My role in this is simply to write it down. This is God revelation. So I'm just gonna be the servant John who does what God wants me to do and I'm gonna record all this like he told me to do and I'm gonna share it with the church. So the Lord gives this revelation this thing that he wants to reveal to us, this big thing that we are to know that is coming soon. And that word soon is another word that we should focus on for just a minute. Do you see that in verse one? If you could look at it with me. Soon it's gonna take place. Many people, they approach the book of Revelation and they think that it's a scary thing and things are gonna you know, uh, unfold right before our eyes and you know, we're gonna fall off cliffs and whatever <laughs> interpretations people think of. Oh, this is gonna happen like tomorrow. I had a lady in one of my previous ministries who said to me one time, she goes, oh, I don't even read the book of Revelation. I don't even go there. It's way too scary for me. 
No, I'm going to be honest with you. Revelation is not scary at all. It's God making known to us what was previously unknown before that time. That we would know what's going to be happening and what's going to be happening very soon. There's something else that's very important for you to know here at the beginning of our study. And again, this is another one of those parts. I don't want to get overly technical as we go through this study. You know, I don't want this to be such an intellectual juggernaut that you lose interest. You don't want to continue on with it. But this part right here, it is also a very important key to understanding the book of Revelation. And this is all stuff that you can go on and study on your own. But it's this right here. Revelation, the whole book, the reason why it's so different than all the other books of the New Testament and why it's kind of odd to us at times, and do I really understand that? The book of Revelation was written in a genre called apocalyptic. It's a specific genre that was very well known during this time in history. Uh, We sometimes refer to it as uh, uh, apocalyptic literature, and it was very popular when the time, during the time of John writing this. The, the original recipients of the book of Revelation, those first Christians that would have read this, they would have had no trouble understanding this apocalyptic writing. It would not be scary to them at all. They would have understood this style of writing. They would have been somewhat familiar with other authors who wrote in this apocalyptic kind of way, this unveiling of truth that would show them or paint a picture for them uh, of what is being unveiled. That's what apocalyptic literature really is. It's, It's hard for us today. Let's just be honest. It's hard for us because we are We are so much removed from first century Christianity. So when we read Revelation, we see symbols and we see numbers and we see comparisons and we start scratching our heads going, what in the world does this mean? But I'm convinced today that much of the imagery and the the quote unquote coded messages of Revelation would have been easily understood to the first century Christians. This apocalyptic style, it would reveal more to them And it would mean more to them in their context and in their day than it probably does on the surface to us. But let me say this very clearly. Oh, there's a tremendous message in Revelation for us today. Uh, Renowned Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he says this about apocalyptic literature of Revelation. He says, Revelation uses vivid imagery to describe a cosmic conflict layered with symbolism, dripping with biblical illusions, and replete with local knowledge. Simply put, Revelation was written in a way that would have been more familiar with first century Christians than it is with us today. And that's one of the challenges to studying the book of Revelation. At the same time, I'll just tell you this though, it is not an overcomable challenge. John Ortberg is a, is a preacher and several years ago he was trying to explain this kind of stuff to his church in Chicago and he was trying to help them understand apocalyptic literature and he was trying to put it in language that they could understand and I love how he described it and I'd like to share it with you. He told his church, he said, imagine with me if you were reading an article in the Chicago Tribune about something that happened in the winter of 1999. And, and it has to do with the sports world. Now, for some of you, uh, you, you might be able to connect up with this really quick. What was going on in the landscape of Chicago sports in the winter of 1999? Now, just think about it for a minute. 
What comes to your mind in the winter of 1999 in Chicago sports? You're probably going to figure it out when I read this heavy use of symbolism to you. Let me read it like this. The bull, okay, there's a clue right there. The bull, which once ruled the earth for 72 months, has suffered a mighty fall. For at the end of 72 months, the great right horn of the bull, whose number was 23, departed, and so did the great left horn of the bull. Then the third horn of the bull, which was pierced in many places and dressed like a woman, Dennis Rodman, somewhere in the book of Revelation, Dennis Rodman needs to be in there, I think. Likewise departed. Then all the beasts of the earth, the hornets and the timber wolves came in and devoured the flesh of the bull and the glory of the mighty bull was laid low. Now, those of you that follow the symbolism and the story, you know that I'm talking about basketball. You know how much I love basketball. I know what was going on in 1999 in Chicago basketball. But if you didn't know the context, if you didn't understand the sports world in Chicago and what was happening back then, you would be utterly lost by what I was sharing with you right there. You'd ask, what in the world are you talking about? It's all symbolic, We do that today all the time in sports. We have symbols that represent things that people outside of America probably wouldn't understand. We have mascots for crying out loud. And people from outside America would look at it and go, I don't get what that means. What is that? So if you were trying to describe our sports to somebody on the other side of the world that really has no context or understanding of Western sports, and you were to say to them, hey man, you know what? Um, I'm so excited today because I get to watch the Chiefs go out and fight the Bears. They would be thinking, that's crazy. What do you mean you're gonna go watch the Chiefs fight the Bears? That, doesn't, that sounds very dangerous to me. That sounds very inhumane. Why would chiefs go out and fight bears? Why would you want to go down there? If you try to describe that to somebody who's not from our culture, that would probably just go right over their heads. They wouldn't understand the symbolism that what we're referring to as men who are dressed up in uniform and shoulder pads and and helmets with logos on them going out and playing a game. But that is really exactly what the book of Revelation is. It's symbolic of some other stuff that is going on. And they're using metaphors that would be helpful to the first century readers. They would have understood these things because it was their culture, it was their context. They would have understood it, but it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. So that, my friends, is apocalyptic literature. So if I could just kind of summarize this for you, I know some of that's technical, but it's so important to understand where we're going. The book of Revelation is God revealing. It's God making known to us something that was previously unknown. John is the witness to this unveiling, and he wrote it all down in a style that is, it is known, a genre that is known as apocalyptic literature, which is full of symbolism and imagery that most likely would have connected the dots quite nicely for people living in the first century. They would have understood all the allusions to it. So that's what Revelation is, and that's so important for us to understand. Now, let me ask another question. Who is John writing this to? Because every letter is addressed to somebody in the Bible. So who is he writing this to? Look at verse four. 
John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, let me stop right there. So we have who they're being written to, seven churches. There's actually, if, if you study the Bible, you know there were a lot more than seven churches all over that area. But he names seven churches specifically. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sarda, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In fact, the next couple chapters is all about what Jesus Christ had to say to these seven churches. But it's more than that. In apocalyptic literature where there's symbols and numbers and things mean things, um, there's something very symbolic about the number seven. Um, In the Old Testament, seven oftentimes referred to this idea of, of fullness and being complete. It's the number that implies that something is perfect. So in this case, yes, seven churches are named But most likely, the number seven is the key here, and it's a reference to a complete church. So yes, this is addressed to the seven churches, but in apocalyptic literature, we would understand seven to be complete. So we know that this is actually written for all the churches. This is written for the entire church. This is even written for us who are reading it today, who hope to be blessed by God by following it. Heads up, we're going to come across the number seven often in Revelation, because there's talk of seven churches, there's seven seals, there's seven bowls, there's seven trumpets, there's seven spirits, there's seven lampstands. I mean, the number seven is all over the place in the book of Revelation, and it simply implies perfection. Now, we're going to unpack this more as we get deeper, but if the number seven in the book of Revelation is symbolic for being full and complete and perfect, then what does the number six mean in apocalyptic literature. Six is one less than seven. And in apocalyptic literature, six is a reference to something that doesn't quite measure up to seven. It doesn't quite attain the fullness of seven. So in apocalyptic literature, the number six actually symbolizes an incompleteness, an imperfection. And it often refers to something that is Evil. See, just knowing these little things, these little details, these symbols going into Revelation, doesn't it help us understand so much more? So John is sharing this revelation with the seven churches of the province of Asia, but that number seven is really an inclusiveness to all Christians. All Christians will be blessed if they take part in this revelation. Let's keep reading. Verse four, so John says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm just gonna say grace and peace when he starts out this part to these churches It's just a typical greeting. We read grace and peace throughout the greetings of most of the letters in the New Testament. But then in the next couple of verses, John has some pretty significant things to share with us. First about God. What does he say about God? He says God is the one who is, who was, and is to come. This is John covering all of his bases in this statement. He's he's telling us, uh, his readers, something that they probably already understood about God. That he has always been there, he will always be here in the present, and he will always be there in the future. He is the past, present, and future God all at the same time. Time. And this is very much similar to how other parts of the Bible describe God. 
Like when God is described as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God is, is always here, always will be. He's not going anywhere. And that's essentially what, what John is saying here in the beginning. And then he says, from the seven spirits before the throne. Again, it's number seven. It refers to perfection. And we're talking about the spirit of God. So this is John saying, not only is God here, always been, now and forever, and the fullness of his spirit is here as well. That's all he's really saying. And in this greeting, he also acknowledges Jesus and, and, and how he is also described and alluded to through the rest of the Old and the New Testament. So he uses words like faithful, witness, firstborn, ruler of the kings, freed, freed us from our sins by his blood. These are all acknowledgments about God and, and Jesus. They are very affirming statements. People would have read this and like, yeah, that's right. This would have been like, yes, that is true, I agree. And then if you move on to verse seven, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn him, will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. I'm gonna tell you something right now because we're just at the very beginning of Revelation. But if these two verses right here don't get you excited about what is to come, I don't know what will. This right here, these couple of verses, they really do capture what Revelation and Jesus' role and the church and what it all means and what is coming. And here's what it is, friends. Jesus is coming back. Don't miss this truth in the book of Revelation. He states it at the beginning. Jesus is going to return. This revelation, this unveiling that is gonna be happening soon, it is not scary it is not mysterious. It's not shrouded in mystery. No, 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 no. At the very core, it is a proclamation of God's victory. And that's how people in the first century would have understood it. And that is how we need to understand the book of Revelation today. This right here that we have and why we're gonna be so blessed when we study together is that it is a record of a victorious God who defeated the devil and all the sin that was with him. It is the victory proclamation that God wins and all those who are with God, they win too and we live together forever in heaven. There is nothing scary about this revelation. This is good news. So John says, look, you wanna know about it, what it's gonna be like? He said, look, he is coming in the clouds. Do you see that in verse seven? First century Christians, they would have been so familiar with this. They would have understood other parts of the Bible, like the book of Daniel. He, Daniel says almost the same thing. In fact, consequently, the book of Daniel is the only other apocalyptic literature in the Bible. The, the second half of the book of Daniel is very much apocalyptic, and, and Daniel has this vision Kind of like what John had. He had this dream. He had this vision of what this was going to be like. And listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. You see, the first century Christians would have been familiar with this idea of Jesus coming. And they're like, yes, he's gonna come in the clouds. We know, that's what we believe, that's what we're expecting. 
John also reminds people that everyone will see the Lord when he comes again. Even those who pierced him, even those who did wrong against him, even those who sinned against him, they're going to see. What's he talking about? When he talks about piercing, he's talking about Jesus' nailed, pierced hands. He's talking about his pierced side. And again, this is very familiar language in the Old Testament, that everybody who put him on that cross, they're going to see him on that day. So, so John refers to something from the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to this Old Testament word. He says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves a firstborn son. Again, all of these allusions to what Jesus, he's coming back again, he's gonna be in the clouds. Everybody who had anything to do with Jesus dying on that cross, our sins, it's all gonna be laid bare. They're gonna see him. And it would have even been familiar to the very words of Jesus himself because in Matthew chapter 24 and other places, Jesus talks about what this second coming of, of, of himself is gonna be like. He says in Matthew 24, 30, then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to heavens to the other. Do you hear at the very core of the book of Revelation is victory, not sadness, not being scared. No, no, no. This is about victory. It's about God's victory. And if I could sum up the entirety of the book of Revelation in just two words, this is what it would be. We win. That's what Revelation is about. We win. And so let me encourage you today, church, that if you haven't done so, I want you to pick up the book of Revelation this week, and I would like for you to read it from the beginning to the end. You will be blessed by the reading of God's word. You will be blessed if, it, if you take it to heart. And I want you to know today, don't allow this book to scare you. Rather, let this book inspire you. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are on the side that wins. And that is such good news. Friends, if you're watching me today and you are not on the side that wins, you have the opportunity to change teams. You have the opportunity to go from the losing team to the winning team. God wants you on his side. And as you read the book of Revelation, I'm gonna be praying that God make it clear to you whose team you should be on because there is a clear victor and there is a clear loser in the book of Revelation. And I'm proud to say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who has been covered over by the shed blood of Christ, whose sins have been forgiven by an almighty God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me, for you, and everyone else who repents of their sins and believes. God welcomed me to the winning team. And so when I read the book of Revelation, I'm proud to say, we win. Can I pray for you? Dear gracious heavenly father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for revealing, for unveiling 
this revelation to John, making him, Lord, write it down for all of us to read. And I pray, Lord, through our study today, several things. Lord, help us to have an understanding. Lord, inspire us, help us grow, help us to walk more with you every day than ever before through our study of Revelation. Lord, I pray you help us stick with it and not give up on it, even when the parts of it are are a little bit difficult to understand. Lord, help always remind us that this is all one big revealing that you win, that you are coming back again and you will claim victory over the devil and he has no chance against you. You've already won. This is his great undoing and your great moment of triumph. Lord, I also pray for anybody that's, that's watching this today that's not sure if they're on the winning team or not. Lord, I pray you touch their heart, you touch their ear. Lord, I pray even right now you'll convict of sin. And Lord, would you draw us all to our knees where we say, Lord, please forgive us. Lord, I wanna be on the winning team. I wanna be with you, Lord. Bless our study as we move forward, God. Help us to understand and have clarity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.